Leviticus chapter 23, we're going to begin by reading verses 9 through 14 as we have become begun a new study last week, briefer study than our prior one, but we'll be in, well, considering this theme for the next few weeks, but let's begin with Leviticus chapter 23, we'll read verses 9 down through verse 14 to start off with tonight. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our thoughts tonight. Father, we praise you this evening, Lord, for this gathering that we have to consider your word, Father, and to receive what you desire for us to have, Lord. I trust that the Spirit has moved already and will move your word to minister to your people, Lord, exactly what you intend for them to receive, and that we might be prepared, Father, to receive all that you have for us. Lord, help us to consider your word always, not just here, not just in this place, but certainly in our own homes, Father, in our day-to-day lives, Father, wherever that might be. Help us to meditate, ponder, and consider your word, preparing it for ourselves, drawing us nearer to you thereby, Lord. I give you the glory this evening, and I pray that you would bless us as we consider this word of yours. I give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said a moment ago, we began this study last week considering the first fruits, those things that were called to be offered, among other things, certainly, under the law of Moses, at certain specific times, uh, certain specific harvest times, and during the times of different festivals that took place, different feasts that took place, uh, they're called uh, in the New King James and the King James Version Bibles here, Um, and Well, these first fruits were part of those sacrifices, those offerings that were to be made during those times of plenty. At least they hoped that they were plenty uh, in order to honor the Lord and him being the one who provided that plenty for them, honoring him, remembering him, uh, praising him, taking joy in him. That's what these first fruits were intended to do. Uh, certainly, we see here in this passage that we read just one of those times that they were to bring the first fruits to the priest to be offered up to the Lord on their behalf, and that was when they ultimately would enter into the promised land that they, well, that they'd been promised by the Lord, and that they would ultimately be led into before they partook of that harvest that they would take in that land of promise. They were to take that offering, uh, those first that collection of first fruits, first. Well, harvest of specifically these three things that we're going to look at over the course of the next few weeks and bring those and offer them up. Uh, Well, they call it the first fruits for a couple of reasons. One, because it was first in regards to time before they partook of it, it said there. What does it say in verse 14? You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. 
He was in, intended to be served first. It was intended to honor him first, given before they partook for themselves. But also they wanted to honor him as being the first and foremost above all. The first authority, the greatest greatest honor to be for him, the one above all. Honoring the best with their best, you might say. And so, this was an encouragement to them. It was supposed to be a reminder to them, something to teach them, well, before they perhaps determined to do it for themselves, at least to learn the habit of it, and at least to consider that it was something that needed to be done. You know, we teach our kids politeness and courtesy when they're young, before they have any understanding of what it's all about, what, it, what it's intended for. We teach them while they're young so that they might recognize that they should do it and need to do it, and then... At some point in their lives, when, when they make a determination whether they're going to be you know, honorable citizens or criminals, they'll actually look and say, I need to say thank you because I actually am appreciative of something. I need to show respect because this person actually is deserving of my respect. I need to be courteous because well, that's what God would have me to do. I need to honor the Lord first and foremost with my everything because he's deserving of it. He is the almighty God. He has provided every good and perfect gift it's come from him, so why shouldn't I honor him with my everything? Whatever, material certainly, but all that aside, everything going on in here and in here should be honoring the Lord certainly. And so, that was what they were intended to do, was to be reminded so that they might learn why they would do it for themselves. Now, I trust that you understand, if you don't, study it out for yourself and learn to understand that each of these things, each of these offerings and these sacrifices that are made under the law of Moses, including this first fruits sacrifice, they all in some respect reflect the Lord Jesus. He is the ultimate sacrifice we understand, and each one of them have their own respective illustration, their own respective meaning uh, and meanings, plural, uh, how they, well, how they re- reflect the Lord Jesus. But each one of them have their own Additional illustrations as well. Not simply, this is Jesus and and that's that. There are a couple of other things that we can see as well. So we're going to take each of these three that are mentioned here, specifically between verses 12 and 13. We're going to take these three. We might touch on the lamb. I'm not sure if that's going to come in. But since we're talking about the first fruits, we're actually looking at those things that are growing as as the theme of this uh, study. We're going to take these three pieces, these Three different fruits, you might say, of this first fruits offering, and look at those individually for what, well, what they represent, how they, may, they might represent Jesus, certainly, but also the different illustrations and shadows that are respective to their individual characteristics as well. So those are certainly the grain and the wine and the oil, as we read there in verses 12 and 13. Uh, We can see that in verse 13 here. It's grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. An offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. That would be from the fruit of the vine. We understand. Now, as you look throughout the Old Testament in particular and you see these things, these three oftentimes are grouped together. The grain, the wine, and the oil. It's grouped together so much, and I did a little bit of a study in trying to look at some of the language and some of the different figures of speech that they used in the Hebrew, and it does seem that this was commonly used as a figure of speech in Hebrew. Uh, In speaking of plenty, and in particular, the fundamentals, the plenteous 
nature of the basics, the basic needs when you're talking about stuff. I kind of sat and tried to think of something that in, the, in English, in our language, it would correlate to. I don't really have a good one other than maybe perhaps when we say, well, when you get down to the meat and potatoes of something, that's what we're referring to when we're referring to something basic and something fundamental and just the basic needs of things. Well, the meat and potatoes of this argument or, you know, I have it. I'm content with just the meat and potatoes of life, just the simplicity that all of my needs are satisfied, the basic fundamentals. Well, the grain, wine and oil were the basic fundamental um, components of of their agrarian society. And I'm not just trying to sit and use all the, the academic terminology and this and that. But these people were farmers by and large. Um, they grew grain and they grew grapes and they grew olives. These were the basic, fundamental, staple crops that they had. There were other ones certainly, but these were the ones that they pointed to as this was the staple of things. And so... The grain and the wine and the oil were the product of the most important crops of the Israelite people. Um, And so they're mentioned here. When you're talking about abundance and fruitfulness and the basic types of stuff, certainly milk and honey, that's another figure of speech you might say. But when you're talking about the grain, the oil, and wine, they're talking about the fundamental commodities that they operated in and indicated and suggested the abundance and the fruitfulness uh, that they were that they were hoping for back in the day. So let's look at a couple of different uses, just so that you can know I'm not just um, making this stuff up. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 is one place where they mention it. Mention it in times of blessing, when the Lord had blessed them, when they felt that abundance. It was identified in speaking of these three things. Now in Jeremiah 31, it's a foretelling of that time when the Lord Jesus... The Lord God is going to honor his people Israel, and there will be a restoration of fellowship there. And look how they identify this. Jeremiah 31, verse 11, certainly speaking in the future, but look what it talks about. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden and they shall sorrow no more at all. When you speak of abundance and joy and things that are going to come, definitely spiritual, uh, spiritual context and spiritual illustrations here. But it speaks of the abundance of those things that they considered basic and fundamental and indicative of their well-being. Joel chapter 2 is another place. Joel chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. There's our trifecta again. And you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. That when there is blessing, when there is abundance, when there is joy, fellowship, and, and well, fellowship with the Lord particularly, there's grain and new wine and oil. Not just naturally speaking, but spiritually speaking. Uh, We see just the opposite in Haggai, since we're here in the deep parts of of the Old Testament. Look in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 10. During times of chastisement, we see it there. Therefore the heavens above above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. 
For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil. There's our triad again. On whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Fruitfulness has always been a blessing resulting from obedience and submission to God. And we oftentimes in the Old Testament in particular, when they were establishing themselves as a nation, we saw it played out naturally speaking. He blessed them abundantly in the natural when they were also seeking blessing abundantly in the spiritual. But it does speak to us in this age. It speaks to us in this age of our own fundamental abundance and our blessing. Our own grain and new wine and oil. That's something that we want uh, abundantly ministered to us by the Lord. So we submit to Him. We yield to Him. Uh, these three elements here together. Grain, oil, wine. They speak to those foundations, those foundational pieces uh, of Israel, those components of a fruitful existence, naturally speaking, and also a fruitful walk of faith. I'm going to take you back to Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 for one more example there to demonstrate there that it wasn't just naturally speaking. Naturally speaking, it's it's again a picture of of their spiritual walk. Deuteronomy chapter 7, these three are mentioned once again. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 12. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. He gave them some instructions as they were preparing to go into the promised land. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, And the fruit of your land, your grain, here we go, and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock and the land of which he swore to your fathers to give to you. So once again, just getting down, if you want to use our term, getting down to the meat and potatoes of things with Israel. If you serve God in righteousness, if you serve him in submission, if you serve him in obedience, then your walk with him is going to be fruitful for them Naturally, picture certainly, but also spiritually, spiritually fruitful. And so it is in this age. The Lord will bless us naturally, certainly, as he desires. And as we ask him for that quiet and peaceable life, and as we ask him for those needs, bring those needs and requests to him, he determines what actually is need and what actually is profitable to us. And oftentimes that is natural blessing. Sometimes he gives us what we want naturally. But as we obey him and as we submit to him and yield to him, just as these ones were called to as they entered into their respective promised land, then the Lord will bless us spiritually and give us fruitful abundance as well. Um, so what, that's what we're going to look at in the coming weeks. These three specific things that are the basic, fundamental, and foundational products of an abundant and fruitful life for Israel. Tonight we're going to begin, after that long introduction, with grain, that first element. Now as we look at grain tonight, I'm going to perhaps just scratch the surface on things as far as grain relates to us in this age and in things to come yet. I'm still kind of determining with the Lord just exactly how deep we're going to look at a couple of different things. Tonight won't be incredibly deep, I wouldn't say. There are plenty of pictures that are presented here in grain. Just looking at it naturally speaking, when it says that term grain in the Old Testament and in Leviticus 
23 and in Deuteronomy 7 and all these other places that we mentioned, it speaks to a number of different things. Uh, if you look in Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias and that sort of thing, they call them cereal grains, but they say that they didn't have oats back in that time or in that region. Specifically, you're looking more often than not at barley, and you're looking at wheat, and spelt is mixed in there. A couple of other ones are, are, were spotty throughout the region, but barley and wheat were the big players in that time. Wheat being offered later on during that Feast of Weeks, some seven weeks after that Passover, which was that well, that first festival or feast of unleavened bread was during that Passover when the barley harvest took place. That's when that first first fruits offering would take place. And then another one would happen some seven weeks later. During that feast of weeks, that would be the harvest of wheat. And the first fruits offering of the wheat would be offered then. But as you look at these three elements, grain and oil and wine, certainly as you look at grain, you can recognize that it's the foodiest of the different uh, elements. As far as you can eat grapes, certainly, but it's not the fundamental basic sustenance provider. They ate raisins. Um, raisins were actually kind of a, um, well, a delicacy or something that, that they favored and had cakes made of. But if you're looking at just the basic fundamental bread, bread is considered that well, the every man's meal, right? Specifically when you're talking about barley. But We'll get there in a moment. Grain is that basic food, uh, food substance. Olives also, but they were used predominantly for oil. Now, if you look at the grain specifically, it could be eaten in a lot of different ways. Raw, if they wanted to, didn't typically, wasn't typically eaten that way. Or you could break it down and take that raw grain and roast it, as we'll read here in just a little bit. We can grind it into flour and then make cakes, breads, loaves, and that sort of thing. And that was typically what was done more often than not. Bread is oftentimes a staple on different ones' tables. Not a lot of people were into wheat intolerance, gluten intolerance back in the days of Moses and, well, these Israelites. So pretty much everyone was eating wheat, bellyache or not. Uh, it was food. It was what... Well, it was on the table. It was part of their sustenance. And so we see this demonstrated in a couple of different places, how they prepared this. In Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 14, in regards to the first fruits and the offering that was brought up, they brought it prepared in a number of different ways. In Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 14, regarding the first fruits there, if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer the grain offering of your first fruits, green heads of grain roasted on the fire, Grain beaten from full heads. The text that we read in Leviticus 23, I'll take you back there, it cited a different uh, preparation method, a specific preparation upon entry into Canaan. And then the first fruits, well, during those times in the years to come. Its grain offering shall be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. Taking that that. Uh, grain, threshing it out, getting rid of the germ and the, or the bran rat, not the bran, the shell, the garbage, what's it called? Chaff, thank you. Get rid of the chaff, blow it off, grind it out. They take the ox and roll it out, or different ones would sit with hand grinders and mill it out. Fine flour mixed with oil. Oftentimes they put some incense over the top of it or uh, other preparations and they bring it to the priest. Uh, see that in our text. During the first fruits of the wheat harvest, 
We see in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 17. During that feast of weeks, just a couple of verses down, you see a different preparation. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves. Two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. So you see that there are different ways that it was prepared even for these first fruits offerings. A lot of F's in that statement. Whatever the means might have been, whether it was ground and baked in an oven, whether it was ground and baked in a pan, roasted as a grain, left raw and just milled out in oil. When it was brought in, it was intended to be prepared. Prepared as it was brought uh, for an offering here. This grain was intended to be prepared in some means. It was never, it doesn't seem, I can't find it anywhere, where they cut the stalks, bound it up, and just laid it out there without having anything done to it. At the very least, it was threshed, beaten out, the chaff blown off, and those individual kernels brought, either roasted or milled out in flour. That seems to be the most basic, fundamental preparation that was offered. But regardless, it was prepared to some measure. And you could eat it that way, too. Uh, For grain to be offered, it needed to be to some measure prepared. And that's a common... The only common thread we're going to see with these three elements here, between the grain and the oil and the wine, if you think about those three elements getting way ahead of myself, those are all preparations of a fruit, if you think about it. A wine is a preparation of a grape. Oil is a preparation of an olive. And the bread that they bring here is a preparation of that grain. It's not just put there in that, well, that fuzzy little stalk that you see there. Now, These sacrifices certainly are all reflective of the Lord Jesus, as I said a moment ago. And the grain certainly does prepare, or certainly does present the Lord Jesus in itself. Uh, We do recognize that the, well, the Lord Jesus calls himself the bread of life, doesn't he? Calls himself, that's John 6, 48. I'm not going to turn there because it's such a short statement, but he is the bread of life. And we recognize that he was also the word made flesh and dwelt, dwelling among us, right? Look at Luke chapter 4. You understand if Jesus was the word made flesh, who dwelled among us, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, we recognize that there is that correlation. It's something that people who aren't schooled in it or understanding of it might have a difficult time making that correlation, but Jesus is the word of God. The Bible cover to cover is Jesus in print for us. It's, it's, it's him presented in a number of different ways, from a number of different angles, from a number of different perspectives. We see his plan, we see his foretelling, we see his... Well, the prophetic word, talking of his coming. We see him actually being born. We see him carrying out his life. We see his work. We see his death and resurrection. We see all of that played out as it was foretold in the Old Testament. We see Paul speaking of his work to come. We see his reign in the age to come. And we see so many other things in the book of Revelation, so on and so forth. So we understand that cover to cover, the Bible is, the word of God is Jesus in print. So, Jesus knew that in Luke chapter 4 and verse 3 when Satan came to test him, to tempt him. The devil said to him in Luke 4 verse 3, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Not ironic, it just simply is a nice picture for us seeing this played out. Jesus answered him saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. By every word of God and Him being the bread of life, Him being the Word, 
Well, we see the correlation that's there. The grain prepared and made bread is a picture. Sacrifice is a picture of the Lord Jesus. Certainly, he called himself the bread of life, just as he was the word in flesh. We don't have him present in the flesh today, but we do have the bread of life in print. And so as we look at this first fruit that was brought, this one element, this grain that was brought, it was intended to be prepared as one brought it, as an offering, as a thanksgiving offering to the Lord through this priest. It had to be prepared, as we mentioned, threshed, milled, roasted perhaps, made into cakes, made into whatever, whatever product that, that the sacrifice dictated there. Uh, we're intended to prepare the bread of life for ourselves. We're intended to prepare the word for ourselves just so. Um, I don't want to be confusing, and, and it, can be, it can be confusing to wrap your mind around all of the different pictures and figuratives and illustrations that we see in Scripture. But Jesus is the word. He is the bread of life. And we're called to prepare the word for ourselves and offer to the Lord what we've prepared for ourselves. Let's see if I can make this a little bit plainer to you. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul cited more than one time uh, the example that the Lord made with the oxen under the law. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of, its, of his wages. I've had this conversation with Brother Joel. I think that he's mentioned it from the pulpit, actually. Um, that this doesn't just merely speak of the natural provision for ministers and pastors and the like. I think that Paul is, you, you can look at the context and you can see that that's what Paul is speaking in the context of. But the Lord provides for his pastors and ministers, naturally speaking. But there's something much deeper here in regards to the spiritual provision that's here. The spiritual provision. The, when you're talking about this ox, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. How come? Because while that big beast is sitting there doing the work, Providing for any number of people, his masters or, or, or whomever, if it's a commercial operation, they're milling out this flour, milling out this grain. It's to serve a number of different people. And while that one is milling out that grain and doing the work in processing that grain, well, it wouldn't serve well to muzzle that ox and not allow it to eat while it took care of business, right? And so... He, was, he would be ministered to, the oxen would, while he was being able to, well, provide for others, provide that work for others. And so, obviously, there's a spiritual benefit for ministers and pastors while, they're, well, while they make it their work to prepare the word so that it can be ministered to those ones that they're given to minister to. There's a spiritual benefit that's there. Uh, I, I think I've said it. I think any number of preachers I've heard speak well, they've said a number of times, I can't give but a fraction of what, of what I've learned from this, what I've seen in this. I've told you just even recently, it's difficult for me still at this point to winnow off all the things that I want to say because this is so good and this is so rich and this is so rich and well, it ends up taking you in different places and you don't get the intentional theme across. It's a blessing for those that are given to prepare the word. 
to prepare the word when they're not muzzled for themselves because they have dug into things and have seen a number of different things that perhaps they haven't been given the opportunity to speak. Preparation of the word, however, is not just limited to those in a ministry setting, to those who are given to pastor and preach. Uh, It's for all of us. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14 Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, if you're familiar with Ephesians 6, it's talking about standing fast, putting on the whole armor of God and the spiritual warfare that each of us is given to undertake in the Lord. And Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the other pieces of that armor that the Lord has prepared for us. And in verse 15 says, Having shod your feet with the gospel of peace. No, it doesn't say the gospel of peace with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's with the intentional putting together, the act of preparing it. Uh, I I probably have beaten the tar out of this illustration, but I make cookies. You know I do. I talk about it all the time. I made some last week for Allie's work folks. And while I was putting them together, the different people in my family came over and they partook (laughs) partook of the dough You know, oftentimes I think they eat more dough than they do actually a prepared cookie. But, you know, when you're putting it together, you have that opportunity of digging in on stuff. You know, looking at the individual components and the individual elements. Looking at the dough while it's coming together. I'm kind of embarrassed I know so much about it, but I can look at my dough and know too wet, too dry, needs more of this, needs more of that. And I dial it in. I I know what it needs. And so I can look at it and I recognize it because I've been so immersed in making those stupid cookies that what comes out, well, I'm well familiar with it. I've been blessed in the preparation of those stupid treats. I'll keep on using it for an illustration because it is what it is. The act of preparing the Word of God is something intended for God's people, all of us, whether we stand up here at this place or not. It's to prepare and look at the individual components and actually to bring something together that is cohesive and something that is more than just, I don't want to belittle anybody, but more than just a chapter a day or more than just a promise box drawing a day. It's something to look and actually search out these things to see if they're so. And to recognize the different individual portions and different individual components and how they come together. And when you put these things together, you actually have a finished product it doesn't have to be a sermon it doesn't have to be a series it doesn't have to be anything of that depth or or broadness you know it doesn't have to be something of just that's just print worthy but something to study yes be diligent study to show yourself approved and we've considered this a number of times recently there is a blessing in preparing well preparing the lord preparing the word, preparing what he has presented of himself and looking and seeing more of him and then offering it to him first and foremost as an honorary, as an honoring him, as a presentation of, look what I know of you. Look what I have received of you. Look what I I get this about you. And it's a first fruits of sorts that you have prepared and you bring to the Lord. And you find some fellowship. Find some fellowship there. I'll give you an example of this as we start winding this down. I'll give you an example of this preparation kind of done in real time, kind of done in actuality, naturally and 
and uh, spiritually. 1 Kings chapter 17. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, and you're familiar with the story of Elijah, you recognize after he was at that brook Kareth, the Lord spoke down to him and said, you're going to go to a place called Zarephath. And there in Zarephath, there's going to be a widow, and you're going to, well, you're going to give her some instruction. You're going to find a woman there who, by her own words, is on the verge of complete ruin and even death, she and her son. And you're going to give a difficult instruction to her that I would not have felt comfortable offering if it hadn't been the, well, the word of the Lord. He's going to tell her, this widow who is poor and near death, bring me a drink and some bread. Make me some food. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 12. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks. I'm in the process of this just now that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Gather those sticks. Prepare those things. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. (laughs) What a gentleman. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. So what you could take this at face value and say, well, you're selfish. And he's saying, serve me first. And he's also not reading the room and didn't hear what she said, evidently, or didn't care what she said because there's only enough for herself and her son. And he says, well, make it for me first, and then you can go take care of yourself and your son. So, obviously, we know how the story ends, but, again, looking at it face value, it would seem that he was rather clueless there, or just very, very self-serving. But we know, particularly in the context of this lesson, this study, is that Elijah was asking for the first fruits, wasn't he? Wasn't, isn't that what he was doing, asking for the first fruits? Prepare, and before you've partaken of it for yourself... Bring it to me. You bring me an offering, and you will find that once you have done this, that's a reflection of serving the Lord and obeying and trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord for what naturally was not there as a provision. Well, the Lord is going to bless in it. Again, some people have manipulated and misused and misguided some people in saying, listen, bring your checks, bring your cash. No one uses checks, young people. Bring your ATM cards, bring your... Apple watches up forward and we'll get everything scanned through. No, that's, that's garbage is what that is. That's garbage. You bring your first fruits of your heart, of your preparation, of your mind, of your motivations, your intentions, and the Lord blesses you abundantly spiritually. Spiritually. He can use natural means, certainly, but it's spiritually first and foremost. So, he says, bring the first fruits to me. And he knew that there would be blessing in it for her if she obeyed and if she submitted to the Lord. He knew it would be profitable for her. And so she had the option of telling him to get lost. And if she told him to get lost, then she would enjoy herself whatever meager meal she was going to prepare for herself. And there would be a measure of food, a measure of provision there. And it would be a very limited measure because she would... Again, if we're to take her at her word, she would eat that meal and then she would pass or find some other some other kind of way to try to sustain herself. Or she had the option of preparing a meal for the man of God, of taking those ingredients, albeit meager ones, putting the effort together of taking that flour, putting the oil in, probably kneading it out, 
patting it out, rolling out, and the whole time thinking, for this guy? (laughs) There's not much here. And then rolling it, putting it on this, stoking up the fire with the wood that she had just gathered, putting it in there, and then sitting there. And what happens when you bake bread? The smells come out, right? I don't know if it was good quality stuff that she had, but I imagine she was so hungry that anything would have smelled good to her. She had all kinds of opportunity and options to say, I'm eating this. (laughs) I'm not giving this. But as she prepared all of that, as she was able to look at this and put it all together, and perhaps while she was putting it together, think to herself, this is a man of God giving me an instruction and a determination and, and, and a direction. And if I'm going to be, if I have any chance of seeing something past this one single meal... I bring what I have, like that widow with the two mites who put in all that she had. I take what I have and I invest it into obedience and submission. And while she prepared that, she looked at everything that she had, went through the process. And when it came out, she said, I've prepared this. Here you go, man of God. And she gave it to him first. That would have taken some faith, particularly the effort that it would have taken to actually put it all together. But we understand that it is a blessing to prepare something for the Lord when he asks us to prepare that. And the Lord tells us, prepare the word. Shoe your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and bring the first fruits of that preparation to me and be blessed by it. So it is for us, right? We're blessed to be prepared. Prepare the word of God for ourselves to handle and consider all the elements that are here. We're blessed to handle and hear and listen. I'm not going to turn there, but in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John talked about we're delivering to you the word of the one who we saw, who we heard, who we handled. We can't do that with Jesus, but we have it right here. And we can hear him and we can handle the word that he presented to us and we can put together and make not inferences. We can make correlations and we can put together a solid fundamental understanding of the doctrines that he's presented to us. We can do that. We're well able by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and by the leading in his direction. We are well able to prepare the word of God for ourselves, learning and handling and partaking of Christ. Very similarly to what John did back in that day. Saints, it is for us to consider bringing our own first fruits to the Lord And that is in part preparing the word of God as they prepared the grain for those first fruit offerings. Preparation has a great deal to do with our spiritual success. God's provisions for us are abundant when we submit to him, when we yield to him as Israel was called to do. We might see it play out in natural provision, but always we'll see it as we obey the Lord and as we seek him and as we look and and learn more of him, preparing the word for ourselves, we will always be blessed abundantly, spiritually speaking. 